Welcome to Warbird Radio Down Under. I'm Dave Homewood. And I'm Grant McCarran. So Grant, you've been over in New Zealand recently. I sure have, mate. And uh, But first of all, I think we should say Happy New Year. Yeah, because uh, I was over in New Zealand, but that was last year. But now we're recording the rappers and it's this year. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Happy New Year to everybody. <laughs> this is our first show on Warbird Radio Down Under for 2024 and hopefully it'll be one of many. Indeed, indeed. And yes, you're right. I was in New Zealand. It was uh, towards the end of last year. Uh, I was there for some business and family reasons and was visiting Hastings, just uh, southwest of Napier. For those, uh, look it up on Google. If you find Napier in New Zealand, you'll find uh, find Hastings just to the southwest and went and visited uh, some folks you know. Uh, so it was Jerry and Jan Chisholm and they live in an incredible hangar home on historic Bridge Par Aerodrome just outside of Hastings. Quite an amazing space. And they happen to own the 1929 Gypsy Moth that Jan's father flew from London to Sydney and then shipped across to Auckland and flew down to Bridge Par. So quite an incredible story of that aircraft uh, about how it was flown down and then how it wound up in the war and then... Yeah, they, it wound up in flying clubs and a gentleman managed to buy it, restore it, and then they got it off him. So it's incredible to see that and the other aircraft in their hangar and hear all their stories. And I've got a couple of uh, interesting stories about Jerry flying warbirds. And from Jan, I've got their other aircraft in their fleet and uh, in their hangar and also um, a bit of history about Bridge Park Aerodrome. So it was it was a really great chat. I, I, I recorded more, of course, but uh, we're putting that out on Playing Crazy Down Under on one of our episodes there. So these two shows are sort of supporting each other, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so definitely after you've listened to this one, go and look for the latest uh, episode of Playing Crazy Down Under and you'll hear the rest of the story. Yeah, and when you hear Playing Crazy Down Under, you'll hear, hear uh, my co-host Steve and I saying, and go and listen to Warbird Radio. <laughs> But uh, you've known um, Jerry and Jan for quite some time, haven't you? Yeah, um, I can't remember how long, but we've known each other for years and uh, quite often bump into them at air shows and events, Tiger Moth rallies and things like that around the place. And Jan is always uh, out and about in her uh, beautiful little red moth, the gypsy moth, and uh, sometimes displays in air shows or sometimes just brings it along. And uh, yeah, no, they're a great couple and so much wealth of uh experience between them and particularly jerry is flying all around the world and uh all sorts of aircraft interesting stuff so yeah he's he's flying uh gravel kitted 737 200s doing some sort of top end bush flying in alaska uh yeah he's flying the md11 and so many other aircraft in between including the civilian hercules so plus all his warbirds and and biplanes and so on it's they're an amazing couple it's a great house I was very jealous. And the memorabilia in there is ranging from Jan's father's flight all the way through to their mementos of flight. Um, Incredible location. Yeah, absolutely. Well, shall we uh, have a listen? 
yeah, I think it was uh, was I was honoured to be invited in and to record with them. And uh, Jan was uh, her maiden name is White, so she goes by Jan White, or as I introduced her during the chats, but otherwise uh, Jan Chisholm. So here we go. Let's go have a listen to Jan and Jerry. Jan White, welcome to the show. Hi, Grant. <laughs> Great to have you, have this opportunity. Thank you so much for allowing me to come to the house that you and Jerry have here on Bridge Park Aerodrome and the lo- wonderful hangar that we're standing in as the rain falls on the roof. Yeah, well, it's a bit of a dream, really. And um, people so often say, do you still live at Bridge Park? And I just, we both say, well, they'll take us out of here in our boxes. <laughs> <laughs> now, in this hangar is not just the beautiful gypsy moth. You have another aircraft here, which has a sort of pseudo-koru on the tail. <laughs> Can you tell us about that aircraft? Oh, it was built by a farmer, Ray King, down in Central Hooks Bay. <clears throat> and uh, I was put onto it, oh, mid-90s, I guess. I probably could have afforded to have bought a Tiger, but I couldn't have afforded to have maintained and flown it. So I thought, well, it's best to have something one can afford. And um, so, yeah. This was sitting there, hadn't done 300 hours. I think the owner had given himself a fright and his son had gone to Brazil to live. And um, yeah. it's been my little friend ever since, since 1995. Since 1995 you've had it. It was built some years beforehand. Yeah, in 78. It was in the air in 1978. But Ray flew it for a little bit and his son, and then it just sat in a shed. So what kind of aircraft is it? I mean, I, I'm looking at it going low wing, two seats, side by side, single engine. But Tail dragger. Yeah, and of course the all important tail dragger. <laughs> so what kind of aircraft is it and did he build it from plans? or? Mm, it's a Gardin minicab, which is a French design. An Englishman actually bought the company and the um, all that went with it. And um, popular little sports aircraft. Um, quite very fiddly to make. Ray did make it from plans, and I've got the plans here. Um, very similar to a Jodel, but they have a crank wing, and they're a lot less fiddly to build, which is why there are a lot more Jodels around than minicabs. I call these the, the um, thoroughbred of that uh, also French design. What kind of what kind of engine? It's an O two hundred Continental, but the original one was contracted to Rolls-Royce, and it still has the Rolls-Royce sticker there. <laughs> and it's quite funny, the number of people I've taken for a ride over the years, and they see Rolls-Royce, and they, you can see them visibly get relaxed. <laughs> oh, lovely. <laughs> if, only, if only you realise the American engine was probably better. But So, so you've had her since 1995, and um, how often do you take her out? Well, uh, I don't really know. I mean, you might do a cross-country, flew up to Tauranga the other day for something, might go around the South Island or might just go for a fly. There's nothing hard and fast, but it's not good for them to be left without the engine turning. Yeah, they do, they do like to have the engine engine run occasionally and get some air beneath the wings. Yeah. And they, you've got a little bit of a story about the koru on the tail because it looks almost but not quite an Air New Zealand koru. Mm-hmm. Ray thought he was pretty safe putting painting that on, and then someone from Air New Zealand found out and um, made him take away the, the, the coil at the bottom, I think, and uh, they seemed to think they had dibs or... I, I suspect a little two-seat aircraft would be terrible, terrible competition for Air New Zealand, so they were, they were covering their butts. 
It was that 1970s attitude that was rife within the uh, in New Zealand as compared to how it was later, especially like imagine if Rob Fife had mm-hmm. been around, it probably would have done a promotion with it. He would have said, take me for a ride. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. You've been at Bridge Par flying here for uh, quite some time and Bridge Par itself has been around for a very long time. Can you tell us a bit about the, the aerodrome? Yeah, this aero club here has been around since on this field since 1929. Prior to that, it was somewhere we think we know where it where it was down um, Mangaroa Road near a Pucky Puck, but um, it was a bit small. And I remember Dad saying that oh, they had an Avro 504K that they were doing training with, and they're quite tall trees at one end of the paddock. Of course, there weren't runways as such in those days, but this land became available, and um, so the Aero Club members, I suppose, bought it. But we have our 100th anniversary coming up in uh, probably about three or four, about four or five years. Okay. So there's going to be a big celebration mm-hmm. for that. Fantastic. Yeah. And a lot of research is being done on the uh, history of the club. And it's quite an active Aero Club. Very. Yeah, no, the, the club's going very well, and... There has been a busy commercial training side to it. But one thing I will mention, that in the 30s, there was a what seemed like a big two-story clubhouse was built. And um, unfortunately, maintenance was horrendous, and, and it was actually pulled down a few years ago, which was sad for us mm. older timers because um, I was around. I was lucky enough at the start of my flying that it was still there in the the bar was open quite illegally on Sunday nights. <laughs> and mum said through the 30s it was always an illegal bar mm-hmm. too. They didn't have a license, but it was the go-to place before all the balls and around the place. Wow. And uh, every now and again, policemen would come out to check it out and generally get sewn up and have to stay the night in a spare bed there. <laughs> <laughs> Came to see how it's going and stayed for the beer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And is there anything else you'd like to say while we're here? Well, we only have two aircraft in the hangar right now, but for a long time we looked after a good friend's beautiful tiger moth. Mm. He wasn't a pilot but had it restored and asked us if we'd look after it for him. Oh, Sigh. The <laughs> oh, the agony and pain. Um, and, of course, that meant you had to take it out and exercise Of it. course, yes, and Des would come and, and fly with us. And Jerry also probably spoke about his RV3 that he had. No. Oh, didn't he? No, you have to drag things out of him, don't I'll have, you? I'll have to bring him back out because I also realised I haven't spoken about the booker. Yeah. So he had a, an RV3 for quite some time. That was his commuter when he was working out of Blenheim flying the F-27s on the Courier Night Mail, and it was a wonderful aerobatic aeroplane and very fast. (laughs) (laughs) So unfortunately, he found it was surplus to requirements and poor thing, sold it probably a year or two ago. Oh, no. Mm. Heartbreaking. So we had more aeroplanes than vehicles in here in those days. Yeah, quite. And and I understand the uh, Tiger's still on the field, though. Yes, it is. It's a cross with Joe Farham. Helicopter guy, and we still have, we're still able to fly nice. the airplane. So it's, it's, yeah, Excellent. wonderful. Well, Jan White, thank you so much for uh, the time to chat and for coming on the show. 
Thanks, Grant. It's been scary. (laughs) (laughs) You've done great. Reminding you that radio engines don't leak oil. They just mark their territory. This is Warbird Radio. Tune in. Take off. Jerry Chisholm, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Quite well, thanks. I understand you've also, um, in addition to the gypsy moth here and tiger moths, you've also flown some warbirds and a variety of other aircraft, both overseas and here. Yeah, that's true. Um, I hear that there was a Mustang involved. Well, I got lucky uh, while I was uh, flying in Alaska for the Bureau of Land Management that was in charge of forest fires in those days. And I flew for them for uh, four years. And the third year that I flew for them, I got upgraded to the P-51. Wow. It was just a stroke of luck because they had, uh, for high altitude thunderstorm sampling, they had just gotten a Learjet. And so the, the senior pilots, about three or four of the senior pilots, all wanted to fly the Learjet. So they gave the Mustang to me. <laughs> oh, the agony. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. Uh, that was, yeah, that was, uh, that was good fun. Luckily, I, I did very uh, gentle aerobatics with it. I was, afraid, I was afraid of it. Yeah. And it's a good thing. It, uh, knowing what I know now, I'd probably get into trouble with one. Yeah, there's a lot of power in there and a lot of torque when yeah. you put the power in. Yeah. All the pilots that had flown it before me had managed to ground loop it. Wow. Generally on takeoff. Uh, but by the time I came along, the boss knew the, the right techniques to uh, keep it straight on takeoff and be gentle with it. Yeah, slowly bring the power up and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Keep, keep the tailwheel nailed down for steering until you get to above 60. There you go. And then ease the tail up. The, the, the big problem with the other pilots, they wanted to, get, to pop the tail up in order to be able to look over the nose. Mm-hmm. You've got a huge big gyroscope on the front of it that makes you want to, if you pop the tail up, the gyroscope yep. wants you to turn left. Yep. And it does. Yeah. But uh, by the time I came along, we, we knew how to handle that. Had a good operation. Yeah. <laughs> Now, Jerry, you've you've flown a twin-engine warbird as well. Yes, indeed, a very nice one. Uh, if a bit noisy, maybe that's why I uh, lost quite a bit of my hearing. <laughs> yes. Is the B twenty-five? I got a chance to fly one in Alaska uh, a few seasons uh, as a fire bomber. Wow! They had been uh, outlawed in Canada and the southern states because uh, on a few occasions. Uh, the wings came off. Ouch. And the reason is, uh, as you drop the retardant out the bottom, it um, destroys the, the lift underneath the fuselage, and it has a, a, well, quite a pitch up. Mm. And so you've got to anticipate that. When you open the drop doors, you've got to actively push forward on the yoke a, a couple of inches to compensate for the pitch up. Mm-hmm. And early on, especially in mountainous terrain or diving down a valley to drop, I can see where if someone wasn't aware of that and the airplane tried to pitch up, it pulled the wings off. Yeah. So we knew that in Alaska, didn't have any trouble along those lines. And I got to do uh, legal low flying. <laughs> oh, that was good fun. Yeah. And, and, uh, and also most of the of the fires we had in Alaska were on, on the big flat tundra areas, and that made it 
uh, quite safe also. Not an awful lot in, uh, in big mountains. It is one of my favorite warbirds of all time. The, the Mitchell just, that has a presence, doesn't it? It's a sweet airplane. Uh, on one occasion, um, to illustrate that, on one occasion I went out to drop on a fire and went through the, the motions of uh, dropping on a, on, on a fire and came back for another load. And I thought it, it, it seemed it wasn't quite as nimble as I thought it might be coming back because we had a 1,000-gallon tank, and that's uh, 10 pounds per gallon. That's 10,000 pounds. And uh, on the way back uh, for another load, uh, there was another airplane that didn't get off the runway in front of me, and so I well, had the gear and the flaps down just turning final. And so I just uh, put quite a bit of power on it uh, and made a 360 on short final and came in and went to went to load up the more retardant. And they said, you don't need any. You've already got a full load. And I was thinking back, gee, was I was all slowed down with gear and flaps on final, and I still had this 10,000 pounds on board. And that's... Uh, it just illustrates what a sweet airplane yeah. it was. Yeah. And you could also, it was uh, real easy to fly. I know some people in this country that think that they that were exploring the idea of getting a B-25 and getting a um, syndicate together to have one. And I told them uh, it's easy enough to fly that you don't even need a checkout. That's all I have to tell you is that the... Uh, Single engine V1 speed is, uh, or V2 speed is uh, 165. And so on takeoff, just keep it, keep it down until you get 165. And then it's so, if you lose an engine, it'll do just fine. And that's all you need to know. It's just a sweet airplane that uh, anybody that can fly a Cessna 172 can <laughs> check out in it quite quickly. Oh, wow. No, that's fantastic. Yeah, but they are noisy. Oh, yeah. So now with uh, noise-canceling headsets, I think it's uh, probably won't make as many people deaf. Yeah, because those props are right outside your head. And the, and the short exhausts, yes. little stub exhausts coming out of the cowlings. <laughs> a beautiful aircraft, but there's always a price to pay. Yeah. Jerry, when I first came here, you pointed to a uh, wireframe fuselage, I guess, steel tube fuselage hanging from the roof and said... Can you guess what that is? I had no clue. Do you want to uh, tell us what you've got as, uh, I guess, the next project one day? Uh, it's, it's, it's an ongoing project. Uh, it's a Booker Youngman. When I was uh, flying the Herc out of, in England, I found that uh, man had uh, bid on a whole series uh, on nine uh, Booker Youngmans from the Spanish Air Force uh, surplus as a lot. And it, in the aviation industry, it was uh, quite the topic of the day because he uh, gathered up nine pilots or himself plus eight pilots to get these airplanes from Spain back up into England. Uh, the man's name was Spencer Flack, as a matter of fact. He owned uh, Spitfire, among other things. Uh, so these nine pilots of... Uh, indeterminate uh, capability, uh, went down to pick up these Jungmans 
and they successfully got six of them back to uh, to England. Uh, one thing they didn't know was uh, a switch on the uh, on the fuel on off said uh, reservado uh, for one position of the switch and. Some of them apparently couldn't figure out that that meant reserve tank, mm -hmm. uh, so they ran out of fuel and and wrecked them. Uh, they got six of them back to uh, England, and uh, it was known that they were for sale. So some of my friends that were my uh, co-pilot and flight engineer in the Herc uh, went up to take a look at them, and of course Spencer Fleck got the best one. Uh, the one with the lowest time engine and the most recent fabric. Neil Williams got the second, the next choice uh, for one. Uh, super uh, famous pilot of the day, aerobatic pilot, and uh, winner of the all the aerobatic contests of the time. And uh, we got the next choice of the next two. So I got one. Uh, I think it was 10,000 pounds. Wow. At the time, and my pilot and, or my co-pilot and flight engineer uh, went together and got another one. Uh, delivery flight was interesting in that uh, it was getting late in the day, and uh, we wanted to get him down to our Hercules base at Manston. We, I think, we took off from Booker Aerodrome up north of London, and on the way back. It got dark, and uh, we could. Uh, it was interesting to to fly formation on the light of the blue exhaust flames coming out the four exhaust pipes. And we decided we're not going to make it all the way to Manston, so somewhere just south of the Thames, I knew there was a runway in the area. I, I forgot the name of it, but uh, we saw a big uh, black area. It must be the air airfield, uh, in in among the houses. So this, we let down into this black gloom, and landed in the grass between all the runways at this particular place. Taxied back up uh, to where we saw a light coming out of a hangar door, and the guy was quite amazed that we came in there in the dark. And said, "I hope you didn't land out there where we have the uh, the the mowing vehicles." And apparently, we did, but uh, oh, wow. we missed them. <laughs> so that was a success. At at some point later, uh, I got the airplane repainted in the pre-war uh, German Booker Jungmann colors, uh, along with the swastika on the tail that was uh, sometimes unpopular. Mm -hmm. And then at a later date, uh, when we shut down the uh, English operation, uh, the the wings come out come off quite quickly and easily with pins. We put it in the back of the Herc, and the Herc had a trip to Dallas, and uh, uh, a friend of mine was the captain on that trip, so he notified me to come and pick up my airplane in Dallas. And I flew it from there up to Michigan, uh, waiting for springtime uh, to get it to Alaska. Then in uh, about April, I thought this uh, 
would be springtime to get it back to Alaska, but uh, it was a particularly cold spring. And coming through uh, some parts of northern Canada on the way back to Fairbanks, uh, it was it got to 20 below. Oh, wow. But they had, uh, they had heater systems for their airplanes to preheat the engine for takeoff. And meanwhile, I had uh, equipped myself with the proper super cold weather gear. Uh, I had a uh, leather face mask to keep the cold wind off my face. But the, uh, as I breathed into the face mask, uh, it would fog up the goggles. Yeah. So I used a, uh, I got a, a, uh, a snorkel. Oh, no. And for, I put the snorkel on and then put the leather uh, chamois face mask on uh, so that all my breath went out the back of the snorkel and wouldn't fog up the goggles. <laughs> Brilliant. And with, uh, with an extra fuel tank in the front seat, I had a range of about eight hours. And so some of my trips were six or eight hours in the cold. Wow. Uh, but, uh, of course, we made, made good progress yeah. in reasonable weather, even though it was cold. Yeah, cold and crisp, not yeah. cold and yucky. So I got it, to, got it to Fairbanks and flew it for a couple of years before uh, the paint started to flake off of the uh, fabric. And so I dismantled the airplane, took the fabric off, and stored it until I made the move in later years to New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And so it's, uh, it's ready to be reassembled. <laughs> Which looks like it's going to be quite a, a major operation. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to build uh, uh, new wings for it oh, wow. because the wing spars were uh, old and uh, delaminated. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the hardest part. Well, good luck with that project. It uh, looks like it's going to take you a little while to do. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's going to be a good hobby for the next few years. <laughs> for rainy days like this one. Well, Jerry, thank you very much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Well, that was really good to hear from Dan and Jerry. And uh, I'm really looking forward now to playing Crazy Down Under to hear some more of the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we cover bits of Jerry's history and Jan's learning to fly and her father's epic journey. Uh, so yeah, the the two shows working together, we've got the whole lot covered because it was a big long morning of chatting. Uh, we had my mother was over for because she grew up in Hastings, so it was a big family thing. Uh, just happened to coincide with some other reasons to be there, so it was absolutely perfect. And uh, so while I had Jerry and then Jan out in the hangar chatting. Um, they were whoever wasn't chatting with me was back in with my mother and her brother and catching up on local stories and everything. It was it was a really great morning and it's, it's so well, happy we well had the done. chance. Yeah, thanks, man. So this is actually the first New Zealand story of our Warbird Radio down under. So far. <laughs> the, other, the other episodes we've done have all been Australian based. So and uh, you've come all the way from Australia to record it. I think that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it does it does keep the circle happening, doesn't it? Does. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to more where you and I are chatting with Kiwis. Yeah, me too. We uh, we need to start arranging some more interviews, I think. That would be a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then hopefully uh, our listeners can hear us again maybe next month. Oh, 
wow, we'd better get on with organising one then. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it's great to be back for the new year, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing a lot more episodes with you, mate. Yeah, me too. Yeah, no, it's a, it's always a pleasure to work with you, Grant, and uh, be able to record some really interesting warbird stories. Excellent. Well, mate, with that, I think we probably should wrap this episode up and let everyone get back to their worlds. Absolutely. Well, I've been Grant McCarran. Thanks very much for listening. And I've been Dave Hamwood.